Welcome to the Outdoor Wandering Podcast. This is our third episode. I'm Josh. And I'm Matt. And uh, today it's going to be kind of a, a shorter episode. Uh, we didn't really plan too much for it, but there's a couple of things that uh, we got that we could talk about. So, um, how's the week been, Matt? Ah, it's been hectic and it's flown by and that's kind of why don't got a lot of things and then also i mean i think we talked a little bit about it the past couple times but getting excited and prepared for the camping trip coming up and so just life on top of preparation did not leave a lot for other things this week yeah it this is only my my three-day weekend and so like over the fort when I had my forty weekends, like last week was my forty weekend. It just it it feels like an actual weekend. Whereas this three day weekend, it's I I nap that first day that I get off, and then that day's half done when I wake up. Yeah. And then next thing you know, it's my weekend's over, and so I I didn't think about or or do a whole lot, but I did um, remember on that very first episode, we were talking just about you know, public land in general. And you had talked about how you guys went to, I think, uh, Olympic State Park. And then we kind of, you asked, you know, well, what's what's the difference between the the state lands and the public lands? So I found kind of a a breakdown of uh, just the, of seven differences between state lands and public lands. And most of this information is coming from protectourpublicland.org so you can go and check them out it's kind of an older article but um gave me an outline of kind of and is it safe uh, to say when we talk are talking about public lands that it's federal public lands yeah yeah so yeah the difference between state managed lands and then in federally and federal uh public land which which kind of brings into point number one on this list is uh the American public owns all federal public land, which includes national parks, forests, wilderness areas, scenic rivers, and wildlife preserves. Um, and every American has a personal stake and is guaranteed to, uh, a guaranteed say in how these places are cared for, which essentially means it takes an act of Congress and a vote to be able to change and to be able to, to figure out how these, these places so, yeah. are, are managed. Whereas I kind of brought up in that first episode that uh, state land, you think of it, public, federally uh, managed public lands are owned by the people and managed by the government. Whereas um, state lands are still owned by the state, but are open to the public. So, um, yeah, like the, the point number two on here is uh, in contrast, state lands are held by state governments. And most of them are required to generate some sort of revenue. So, okay. So public lands sound like they do not, are not required to generate revenue. So like, yeah, Yosemite national for or national park has a a real crap tourist year and uh, it doesn't make any money or if if zero people were to visit it, uh, it would still be open. Whereas essentially state managed lands are generally kind of like a for profit business um state lands aren't owned by the state residents in the same way that public lands uh are owned by all americans um and generally the state can do whatever they want without public input to the state managed lands um they're just 
governed by a different set of rules. If if Washington State wanted to uh, sell off forest. sell off Olympic yeah. Olympic uh, State Forest where you guys were at, they could do so. Um, which is what it talks about. And the third difference is like if it makes like a short term economic sense for a state to lease a bunch of land for like mineral development subdivisions and like housing developments um logging logging or just yeah logging uh, is definitely a big one out here um the states don't have any obligation to involve state residents in those decisions they can make those decisions kind of on their own whereas if um you know the government were to decide hey let's just sell yosemite national park they just they can't do that yeah um you said now does well yes the federal government they they have leased and they can allow different drilling operations or logging operations on federal land it just has to go through an entirely more stringent process yep yeah you were saying that when you guys were in uh the state park or the state forest down there that uh like there was a bunch of areas of that that were logged and and clear-cut or yes yes the the main use of this forest is logging operations i'm i'm pretty well it didn't start out that way i'm sure it was an actual by itself forest before we came along but um it is left and it's been logged down i think almost in its entirety and then regrown um Hmm. but it is leased out for logging as long as i've ever been here interesting um, yeah, and that, it, even like in the state of Washington, like, you know, we got Mount Baker, Snoqualmie National Forest, uh, uh, Okanagan, Wenatchee National Forest, Olympic National Forest, those like, even though they're in Washington state, that our state government can't do anything. They can't make any decisions whatsoever on those lands. So, um, which is, you know, states are generally required to like balance their budget at the end of every fiscal year. And so that's one of the differences between state and state lands and uh, public lands is that if they're having a tough economic year, um, states can generally will go for that state owned land. Um, They could sell it off, lease it, um, subdivide it into different stuff. um, To generate more revenue to. Yeah. Yeah. Because. If, and it kind of circles back around the state lands are required to generate revenue yeah so like my first point these were you know it says uh the quote on here is is pretty good it says we're all owners of federal public lands but we are all customers on state lands so i can see that and that it's not i mean it, i definitely prefer them being federally regulated um but state lands go and be a customer especially in some of them they are well worth it it's just still especially if nobody does visit them then they will be completely sold off because they have to be made be doing something to make money yeah and this next point kind of brings last last week we talked about um (laughs) Was it last? It might have been the first week, but uh, 
we just talked about the when I brought up the 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 Bundys that were kind of pulled yes, up in yes, Oregon, okay. and how that brought up the big controversy that you know the federal government needs to get out of regulating this and transfer the power over to the states to manage and stuff. Um, so this next point kind of goes into that is just thinking the, all the points that were previously talked about, but on average, we pay about $4 a year of our income taxes go to public land. So that $4 per person, obviously, if these places were transferred to the states, their governments and take taxpayers would be solely responsible for managing the upkeep infrastructure, building the roads, fighting fires, which means Western tax taxpayers would be, uh, way overburdened um you know dealing with all these lands and stuff and, and managing the cost of it or the states would be just forced to sell it off to be able to pay for the maintenance of those lands yeah um, and it is kind of a catch-22 there because oh well maybe but um if you give the states all that power and all of this prime basically land that could be mined the mountains or the forests and logging you're then also basically saying here's a bunch more revenue directly towards this state that the federal government will have no say or no way of getting um so i can also see the them not wanting to give up all the lands to the state yeah I, but that's also i mean I'm sure there is so many different nuanced ways to look into whether they should be state ran or federally ran. Um, but just beyond the footing, the taxpayers of the Western states, <clears throat> excuse me, the Western states are already pretty well off and it's just adding another revenue source to here. And, and then everybody is, what's the right word for it? restricted access across the country they lose out on something while the west coast just gains another another bargaining chip as it is yeah um well that's a, a, i feel like um at least with the 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 federally managed public lands um kind of has is more of a, a personal stake in it just uh, knowing that, like the the money that does come out of my paycheck for it, is definitely going to go towards that. Whereas, you know, if I'm paying a tax to, you know, what we don't have a state income tax in our state, but if it was to be tacked on into a sales tax or whether it's licensing and fees and stuff like that, it's it's going to the to manage a piece that that the state could just get rid of. No in the next what, year whereas, yeah exactly yeah. so um the last point on here it doesn't really seem like a kind of a, a point or a talk about the difference but it does kind of talk about that personal state it says public lands owned and managed by uh public lands owned and managed by all americans are the backbone of an 887 billion dollar outdoor recreation economy so that's at least as of this article is 2015. I don't know what the current number is, but that's 887 billion dollars revenue industry. That, yeah. That's yeah, that's a, an, but, an incredible you know, amount of money. But uh, it creates 
um, you know, millions of jobs across, you know, whether that's, um, you know, we talked about the National Park Service only having like 20,000 employees, but that's just for the, the National Parks. That doesn't take into consideration the Bureau of Land Management, the Department of Interior, um, the, the forest management and all that type of stuff. Um, plus, uh, you know, the local economies out here, you know, like you take Enumclaw for an example, going up to Mount Rainier National Park or the communities that are around Sunrise and Paradise, you know, thrive off of they, Mount Rainier They, they don't Park exist at this point if there's not yeah. that the tourism going through or the logging in the mountains. Exactly. So, but those are just some of the, the differences um, kind of on on the, the state land. I mean, ultimately, it what it boils down to is like that quote up before is that we're all owners of our federal public lands and we're just customers on state land. So, um, which is kind of how I like to think about it. And I think I definitely... Now, as we're getting into this, I like the idea of the, the t-shirt that I saw more and I was able to find where to buy it, but I'm pretty sure I want to get the t-shirt and all it says on the t-shirt is public landowner. Nice. That's kind of all I had on, on that. And then the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, um, that we can get into and just kind of discuss a little bit is, uh, the white house and Biden. Um, this is dated the 22nd. So it looks like uh, just this past week, they nom- nominated um, Tracy Stone Manning of Missoula, Montana to lead uh, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management. Uh, so she'll be in charge of all the federally managed uh, BLM lands, um, which is different than our national parks and, and national forests and stuff. But you know, BLM lands are probably the the next biggest just chunks of public land out there. Um, and from what I can find on her, it sounds like I was uh, just going to say a is great pick. I, I'm trying to come up with something to say about it. But since the news did just break pretty recently, I, I personally have not heard of this person. Um, so I'm trying to pull up anything about uh, her and it's all just news breaking. So do you, do you know much about her? Does she have a decent um, track record or? Uh, yeah, she has a good track record. She's uh, spent uh, the past couple of decades um, working to conserve wildlife hab- habitat, uh, increase access to our public lands, expand opportunities for all Americans to enjoy the public lands. Um, she's an avid hunter angler and conservationalist um so i think i think it's going to be a good balance um especially to the administration's uh new head of uh the department of interior which at least in my research a couple of weeks ago and i'm kind of springing this on you right now but uh um there are some concerns over the the lady who's um, running the Department of Interior right now, Deb Hanlon, who the Biden administration appointed. Um, in some ways, like she's uh, uh, she's a Native American, and it sounds like she has a lot of good things. But I think a lot of her 
concern is before she was appointed to the Department of Interior, um, some of the stuff that she was doing down in New Mexico was trying to get some of uh, um, the national forest or national park lands or national monument lands uh, transferred over to tribal lands. And so, and I guess, I mean, that can be a kind of a whole debate in of itself, but if you look at like, like up here in Washington, if you look at a map of land ownership around the Muckleshoot Indian Reservation owns already a, a ton of land up here that I don't know if it ever was like National Forest or National uh, Park Land or anything mm-hmm. like that and how they got it. But um, it sounds like she wants to move away from at least previously or historically, she wanted to take a bunch of land that was in her state and just move it over to the tribes as opposed to federally managed public lands. Um, And the argument against that is that a lot of those monuments and sacred sites and, and stuff that they're already protected. Well, and and that was going to be my question because it's to a certain point and i mean it is going to be a very controversial topic i'm sure but what they they are part of the landowners still that i mean in the sense i don't know exactly how tax revenue works from living on an indian reservation or anything along those lines but they still live here they have access to these parks and everything other than maybe having a say in what happens, but I don't think that, I think that the focus should be on conservation of these places, sure. not trying to say, oh, we we want to say if we're going to sell it off or anything. All of that yeah. should be off the table. And if it was, and it's a perfect world, what is the big deal? <laughs> I mean, yes, it is sacred land. Are they looking for the revenue? from this land and they just want to basically do the same thing that the federal government's doing to it because at that point then i do kind of understand that they should have access to some of these places that was theirs to to make money off of just like we are now um if they're doing it to sell it off and like it's such a messy messy thing that it really comes down to if it's already public land don't we all have access to it and shouldn't that be enough but yeah it's obviously much more complex than that yeah and i think it sounds like um it sounds like tracy stone manning is kind of a, a good balance to that because i think she's gonna i mean they're the blm doesn't really have any say in what happens to the national forest or national parks they just have say over what happens to blm land but um it'll be kind of a, a good balance to it and that's not to say that Deb Hanlon doesn't have some positive stuff. I mean, she's advocating very heavily for some areas up in Alaska where they wanted to open up for uh, oil. And also that um, we talked about it in the first episode briefly, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but that sacred site in, I want to say Colorado, that's called like Twin Bear or bear ears or something like that yes yes we did talk about that um it was something ears um and and so like i said it i'm sure it's a lot more nuanced than without looking into it than we would be able to get into too much because 
these lands you said from new mexico i know that there is tribal land down there like historic definitely like i don't know ruins and stuff and so yes this land was theirs that's where they lived i think that they should have access and be able to have it it's also though i don't want anything to happen to it seems like nothing's happening to it right now let's just not do anything with it and keep enjoying it i don't know i think the the information granted i haven't done like a massive amount of research on on either of them but just from some of the podcasts that I listen to that have to do with the outdoors and conservation and stuff, um, just makes it seem like the Secretary of Interior, Dev Hanlon, uh, it sounds like, as from their perspective and from what I got, it sounds like she's hyper-focused on uh, Native American stuff, um, which absolutely should be preserved um, and, and, and kept... Um, you know, part of our federally managed uh, monuments and the national monuments and national parks and stuff like that. But it sounds like that that's kind of all she's focused on is the Native American parts, not really the rest of it. So I think the, I mean, if that is true, and granted, I'll need to do more research. I just brought her up just because on the surface, it sounds like um, Tracy Stone Manning is kind of a good balance to that. Well, and I mean, that's how a good government would work is you you have somebody who really wants Native American land to be taken care of. You have somebody else who comes in and wants, I'm, I'm not sure, just the general public land to all be conserved and yeah. a put them all in a room, force them to work together and say, figure it out for the best of all of us while maintaining this land. Sure. Uh, there's a, a quote here um, from the director of sporting advocacy at the national wildlife federation. Um, the quote, it goes to say, I've been lucky to call Tracy a friend and colleague. I have seen firsthand her commitment to the vast public to our vast public lands and to the people who depend on them. She is a pragmatic, uh, pragmatist. I'll have to edit that to the right pronunciation. Uh, she is a pragmatist who will bring balance and fairness back to the, an agency that is tasked with sustaining the health, diversity, productivity of the nation's lands. Hunters and anglers can rest assured that Tracy understands the depth of our issues and will be a leader we can trust to prioritize wildlife habitat restoration expand hunter and angler access and understand the concerns of the sporting community and work diligently to ensure that our public lands will thrive for generations to come. So, I mean, that's a a pretty good, uh, a pretty good endorsement from the national wildlife federation. Yeah. I was going to say that that sounded like a pretty shining endorsement. Um, so overall then I would say good pick, but, I, let's see the actions. Like, let's see what happens in the next year or so first. Sure. So, I don't know. It's it's in the news now. So, uh, if you want to know more about that, you'll just have to, I guess, Google searches on it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of keep my, um, what's it, the ear to the ground, and and pay more attention. This will be kind of like the first 
uh, administration cycle of presidents where I'm, I'm really kind of interested in, and concerned with uh, things like who our Department of Interior is and, uh, you know, and her position at the Bureau of Land Management and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, we always hear about who the, the Secretary of Defense is going to be and yes. who, you know, all, all this you know, these other spots in the administration, but you never really hear, at least I don't, you know, because I'd never really paid attention to the outdoor and conservation and stuff like that as it pertains to our government. And so I'm sure, you know, avid outdoorsmen would uh, generally pay attention to this stuff. But yeah, I don't think it's something that your general public is really aware of, but I mean, it's important, especially if and, um, and I would say it, it's really it, unless you are an avid, and even that that's a, a loose term. Nobody really has they they don't know the Department of Interior, the Department of the National Park System, or whoever's running these. You just don't hear about them. They're not the catchy things that go into the news. And I would say, I don't know conservatively seven out of ten people if you were walking down a an actual hike out in any of our forests here and ask them hey do you know who this person is if they were i don't know let's take somebody from five years ago and ask them hey do you know who the, the who was running the show nobody would know that yeah uh, i probably even still i mean i definitely um you know we've been berated by politics over the past four years and stuff and you know generally i would try to kind of find out what's what's going on with with all that stuff but i couldn't have told you who trump's department of interior secretary was no so without googling it yeah right now nor could i but i think uh i don't know and hopefully there are people that that might listen to this and and kind of at least perk their ears and, and maybe do their own research while we kind of do our own on on uh, these two women. Just because it's important and you think about there aren't many people that I've ever encountered that don't enjoy our public lands. I think most people in the United, at least in the Western United States, where we have tons of public lands, maybe not so much in the Midwest and the Eastern United States, but you know, everybody here spends time on public land. They just probably don't even, aren't even aware of. Yeah. It's it's uh, just how you've grown up. You've driven up into the woods and you camped. You didn't even realize that the reason you were able to do that is because it was public land. And it's just kind of how it's always been around here. So it's uh, it's something that that more people should be be aware of. So hopefully, a few people listen to this and, and start looking into it. Well, I'm and, and I would argue, I would argue it's one of the more important um, aspects. Like just beyond the idea of being able to go out and hike a trail or go hunting or fishing, it's it's mother earth it's it are you worried about global warming well then we need to be taking care of these places are are you worried about 
the extinction of species? Well, we need to be funding these things and we need to be taking care of these. Are you work worried about hiking or hunting or camping or like all of these are going hand in hand. It's it, it's where we live. It's literally our land. It's probably the most important thing to take care of, really. I, I mean, outside of the citizens that live here, we have no place to live if we don't take care of where we are. Um, one last thing. I just happened to pull this up, and this is, is interesting. We'll actually push this into a, a little bit uh, longer than 30 minutes now, but it's, I was doing, just trying to find a couple of things, um, today to talk about. And so I was just looking for new art news articles that had to do with national park service, national forest, public lands and stuff. And it seems like there's, it's kind of a slow news cycle. There's not a lot of, at least not a lot of controversy going on. That's that can be discussed or debated. So that's pretty good, but I did find um, a quick article just now that I want to talk about just in case anybody uh, listens to this and is interested in this. Um, I, I want to preface that uh, you and I have discussed off, off the podcast, and I don't know if we've brought it up at all a little bit, but when we talked about uh, like hunting and use that for like wildlife management tools and be able to control populations um, and that it has to do with, you know, you're only allowed to get certain amount of tags to be able to sustain um, populations and you only can hunt certain types you know if you're deer hunting you might only be able to hunt like a a three point or bigger in some areas you might be able to hunt does it, it all kind of depends on the the management plan for that area to be able to sustain the the herd size um oh are you talking about the grand canyon national park yeah, I am. So that's, I just uh, happened to be searching for National Park Service um, in the news and found this article. And this is dated uh, April 26th. 10 hours ago. Yeah. So this just today. The National Park Service is looking for volunteers to kill bison and hunt bison on the north rim of Grand Canyon National Park. Um, National Park Service is concerned about the growth of the bison herd in an area of the north rim and the impact on park resources such as water vegetation soils and archaeological sites um, the mps said in a press release reducing the herd size will protect the park ecosystem resources and values and this is coming from azfamily.com arizonafamily.com which is uh, just appears to be uh, an arizona web-based news site um and so if you go to this article, you can, they have a link and you, um, applications will be accepted for 24 hours beginning on midnight of May 3rd through midnight on May 4th. 25 applicants will be selected to form a pool of which 12 volunteers will be chosen using a random lottery system. So it looks like they'll go through and select 25 people and then those 25 people are going to get their name drawn into a hat. And then uh, of that 25, then 12 people are going to be uh, selected. Um, you have to be a U.S. citizen of at least 18, eight, uh, at least 18 years old with a valid photo ID. You have to have the ability to purchase and pass a background investigation, have no criminal or wildlife violations, a high 
self-certify a high level of physical fitness ability. You have to have, do a firearm safety certification and pass a marksmanship proficiency test of three out of five shots in a four-inch circle at 100 yards, which is pretty easy. Um, provide their own equipment, firearm, lodging, food, and field dressing supplies. Uh, there's a fact to that. Um, be available for the entirety of one of the assigned lethal removal operational periods. Individuals may not participate in more than one, and then it lists some dates. Um, okay. And then meets all the additional requirements listed on the MPS FAC page. That's interesting. Um, there was an episode of... Is that something that you're thinking about putting your name into the hat for? Or I am now. Uh, a bison hunt is like a, a once-in-a-lifetime hunt. It's kind of like, with the exception of maybe trying to get drawn for moose in Alaska... Um, you know, people who put in for bison hunts their whole entire life and never got drawn out of the lottery for just a, a general draw ticket. It's kind of like, you know, I put in, uh, for the opportunity to hunt moose here in Washington state, but that's just a kind of, and how putting in for specialty tags is, is a whole nother topic, but essentially I don't plan on getting it because I don't have enough points on my license uh, it would have to be like a, a a really, it'd be like winning the lottery if I got one this early in my hunting career. Okay. And because I'm so old, uh, I'll probably never accumulate have the, the points to, yeah. yeah. Whereas if, if my, if my kids continue to hunt through their life and they continue to put in for these specialty tags, then maybe someday they'll have the opportunity, you know, they'll get selected, but the chances of getting selected are pretty slim. Um, I was watching this uh, this episode. Um, I forget what the name of it, or it might have just been a YouTuber who had like a, a a twenty minute episode talking about how they went on their their first bison hunt and uh, he was able to harvest a bison, and they went into kind of the background of you know how we essentially we as Americans practically hunted bison to extinction. Um, in the 1800s and over the past uh, century, century, yeah, but over the past century, um, we've been able to restore that population back up to obviously not what it used to be, but to sustainable herd sizes. Yes. Um, and that these hunts, uh, like mentioned here, um, are important to to help keep that ecosystem alive and to sustain the herds. Because I guess when male bison um, start maturing, but they're kind of mature outside of, um, breeding range, breeding range. I guess they can get violent is what they were saying. And the, to the point of like killing off other bison, like they start getting challenged and look at it as kind of a, a, a thing of pride where they start just kind of turning on their own and start killing well, God who they damn. perceive to be weak. Um, and they even talked about it when he harvested his bison, it was standing with two other bison that had kind of been outcast from this herd. And as soon as, um, uh, he hit the bison, um, it went down, but then it started to get back up and they needed to take a second shot on it, which isn't uncommon for a bison. But as soon as the other two male bison that were standing near him kind of sensed that weakness in them, they just, 
moved in and started charging on him and attacking him. Just try to be like, oh, here's our opportunity to, to get this guy out of the way. Um, I mean, that is mother nature, so, but yeah. But it can, you know, when you're trying to sustain these herds of, um, you know, just a, a couple hundred to a couple thousand in some areas. If you just have a few buffalo that are just start killing off a bunch of the weaker males and they can't even breed anymore, then, you know, it's... The, 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 then you don't have the lineage to keep the herd going after a while because they will go after yeah. the younger, the weaker ones. Yeah. I mean, back when, back when there were millions and millions of bison just roaming uh, the western United States, I mean, you didn't have to worry about that so much just because there were so many of them. But now when you're trying to just maintain those sustainable herd sizes... You know, the hunting management aspect of them is a is an important part to make sure that the population continues to grow and and is sustainable. So, shit, yeah, I'm gonna set a reminder for next week and I'll throw in an application. Um, it, it's a, and it's a, you, it's you a touched once in on a lifetime it, thing. touched on it briefly. How, as somebody who's getting into hunting and everything. What are your thoughts on the point system? Is it basically a, uh, I don't, the best way to put it, it would be like a hunter reward system? The, the more you kill, the more you, you um, get points on a license, and then it's kind of just like, yes, he is a qualified hunter. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to shoot this moose and then leave it to go bleed out and not do anything or what is the whole purpose behind that uh it's more of just to try to make it um i guess make it fair as it's so limited um and it's not it's not kind of uh based off of the more you hunt i mean you could purchase uh the moose application for instance um without ever even hunting as long as you've are eligible to purchase a hunting license you can just purchase these applications and accumulate points um and every state does it different and i don't know what the exact formula is um in washington state but essentially i guess to to kind of really break it down into the simplest terms um if I have zero points right now. So if I purchase an application, it's like um, I have my name in the hat one time for this next uh, this next draw. Oh, it's pay to win. And then and then I accumulate a point, and now my name's in the hat two times. And then I uh, I don't get selected, so I try again, and. Now my name's in that hat three times. Some other places do it differently, and I think that's kind of the the, the simplest way to put it for how Washington does it, but I yeah. might be wrong. But on the flip side, if I get selected for moose um, and I harvest a moose, I can never put in for moose again. Okay. And I think if I get selected for moose and I fail to report that I did not harvest a moose, then I'm unable to ever try for, to hunt for moose again. And I think if I get selected and I don't harvest a moose, um, but I 
go through all the proper reporting and stuff saying that I didn't, I'm pretty sure my points go back down to zero. Yeah, but you still are eligible to keep reapplying. To keep trying. So, you know, Washington, we don't have... Um, we don't have a moose population very, yeah. But we surprisingly, I didn't realize it, but we do. It's mainly up in the northeast section of Washington State. Uh, near the borders of Canada and Idaho. Uh, like a pretty decent one, you mean? A decent one enough to where uh, we give out um, tags for it every year and for antler antlerless moose every year. Oh, damn. Um, some of the other stuff I didn't realize we had in Washington, and these are special hunts as well, but uh, with a bit better of a chance of getting selected for, but there's um, sheep like wild sheep, you know, like, and mountain goats. Okay. Um, which I didn't realize. Now, I'm were... I'm assuming. I would really hope so. Otherwise, then I'm just going to get a little bit grumpy. Probably not, but maybe. Um, I, sheep, sheep and lamb, people eat. Mountain goat. Okay, I guess goats, people eat goats. But, like, what, what would be... Is, is it a food hunt? Is it a trophy hunt for something like that? Or, because I don't... I've never heard of somebody hunting a mountain goat. Oh yeah, it, mountain goats. Uh, one, yeah, you you eat it. You can eat it and prepare it, and it's supposed to be really delicious, from my understanding. Um, and then also it's it's just wildlife management. Okay. Too. And yeah, I mean there is a, a portion of it. Um, you know the opportunity to to kind of get that in air quotes trophy animal. Um, but it's not it's not like hunting a lion where there is really no other use for it than just saying, yeah. That you did okay. It. That, that's what yeah. I was getting at. There, there is at least a use for. Yeah. yeah. It's what is, uh, and when you think, when I say sheep, let me, let me send this to you because it's not what you think of, of sheep or lamb. It's, kind of when you see sheep for what we have here in washington now i've heard turkeys it looks are like hard, what, but and you can basically find them anywhere is that a special license as well or is that just go get a turkey no turkey you can actually you can um you can purchase up to 10 tags for turkey in the season it looks like because i looked into it uh it's turkey season right now um and you can just purchase up to 10 tags so whereas, you know, something like deer, um, you can put in to be drawn under the same kind of special lottery for a second deer tag. Um, but you can't just go in and, and purchase, oh, I want two deer tags this year. So did you open up that link? I did. Do you happen so to that's... know where they um, roam? Here in Washington? No, not really. I don't, I don't know much about it. I know about doll sheep and just kind of the mountain goats from watching uh, the Meat Eater show because um, they have a couple episodes. Uh, actually, if you scroll down in that, that Google link that I just sent you, the second video on the video list is uh, a Meat Eater episode, which I still tell you, you should really watch it. It's one of the best documentary well, just outdoor documentary style shows that, any other that watch, any other but... podcasts you want to plug <laughs> <laughs> but i was actually thinking um little break in the box here 
I think this would be a perfect segue into a part two uh, episode. Tuning in. Um, it's kind of a weird outro, but uh, I'm recording this while I'm editing. Um, it's kind of a recur- weird recording night in general, so we kind of just went into a, a second episode that will be up next week. But I wanted to uh, thank everybody for checking in. Um, you can find us at O Wanderings on Instagram and at O Wanderings on Twitter and at owanderings.com. Um, yeah, so thanks for stopping by. Uh, follow and uh, follow us on Spotify or off the website or on anchor.fm. Thank you. Good night.